something you'll find out real soon when you, uh, for example, uh, try to uh, convince a big brand to work with you for free, you'll find out that nobody will want to work with you from these big companies because they value expertise over, you know, money. All right, we're back with another book club, continuing from last time with The Win Without Pitching Manifesto by Blair Inns. So, for all you listeners, I guess we can start off with a quick summary. So this is a book for creatives, freelancers to agency owners, to help them get their sales process down pat. As you can tell by the title, it's not about pitching. And he lays out 12 proclamations. We've gone through the first six in the first episode, so I will give you a quick rundown of those six now, and then we'll get into seven to 12. Number one, we will specialize. Number two, we will replace presentations with conversations. Number three, we will diagnose before we prescribe. Number four, we will rethink what it means to sell. Number five, we will do with words what we used to do with paper. And number six, we will be selective. So now we're going to dive into the last six proclamations of the Win Without Pitching Manifesto. Number seven, we will build expertise rapidly. We will view our claim of expertise as a beginning and as a rallying cry for perpetual progress. Once focused, we will work to add to and deepen the skills, capabilities, and processes from which we derive our expertise, and we will commit to the idea that continuous learning is mandatory. Yeah, I like that. Um, I like two things about this chapter. One, the emphasis on the writing aspect, where from his point of view, the like there's a requirement to write. Um, Basically, to build your expertise, you have to write because that deepens your knowledge. So I like that a lot. Where he then, like he basically makes the point of putting it in a hierarchy where he says like consulting first, writing second, and artistry third. And that's kind of how you build your expertise. So that was really cool. And something, I mean something i guess all of us we want to do like kind of the writing part as as well in our business like writing about our processes um writing about the projects we have this is where kind of case studies come into play as well right like the the mere fact and the mere process of writing a case study for for the website about a project we did is kind of like delving into it and learning from mistakes recapitulating recapitulating on the on what happened and yeah, and building that knowledge, that expertise even further. So I like that a lot about that chapter. Like the first thing that popped out to me in that chapter. Yeah, documenting is uh, very important and often very overlooked because designers, uh, in this case, they like to design and sometimes they just don't want to write those um, case studies and everything because it's just tedious copywriting work but it's very important uh, to demonstrate for your potential clients what you can do and like where is your thought process so those things should not be overlooked and every project you do 
just try to do a case study on it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think this builds off of the previous proclamation of specialization, right? Like this idea that you have like a, a focus. Um, and that, that's the basis from which you can build expertise. Um, if you're trying to do, you know, everything for all sorts of di- different industries, um, there's inevitably going to be a variety of solutions based on, you know, what, what those types of clients uh, need. And so having specialization is kind of the, the first step towards expertise. And like you said, Marlon, that uh, order of the different parts of the process for creative enterprise, first consulting, second writing, then third is artistry. What he's arguing is that, you know, like the creative side of things, the the artistry is what is being commoditized. And so being an expert, uh, being able to demonstrate that is what's going to allow you to make more money, to get paid what you feel like you deserve. It's the, you know, that, that creative process is something that they can get from anyone. And so this ability to differentiate yourself through specialization and, and demonstrating expertise is what's going to bring home the big bucks. Exactly. And it's specifically the, the thinking part, right? The strategic part behind everything. So you consult somebody, you, you think about their strategic approach to a certain problem they're facing currently. And what I like about the writing part as well that you mentioned is, it's like writing is like thinking solidified, right? So there is a correlation between how well you can write and how clearly you can think. So you can train how you think by have the practice of writing. So the more you write, the the better you're, or the more you're able to think clearly. And that uh, that actually helps you then to help your clients because then you're able to strategically think better together with them about their problems, about the challenges they're facing. Yeah, and, and what he means when he, when he talks about, you know, the requirement of writing in this chapter is that uh, you should be writing about what your expertise is. Once you, once you build expertise, once you decide, you know, where you're specializing, building that expertise is through writing about it, writing about the, the specialization that you have and, and demonstrating uh, to other people, you know, what that is. And the more that you do that, the more that you write, uh, the more you uh, can conceptualize that expertise and share it with other people. Hmm. Would be interesting to know, or to th- yeah, to know if he means like long form writing, or if something like an Instagram post or similar things like that, a face Facebook post or something that is enough as well for him to regard it as writing about your expertise and getting better with the knowledge you have right yeah i think it's like blog posting newslettering um Mm. just papers in general or books all counts in writing Mm. maybe you can make even the point or the the argument that talking about it is something valuable as well like right in video form or in a podcast right like i mean I, i don't remember right now what year he wrote this book but like maybe um, you could have that an updated version where you have like podcasting about your process or 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 your expertise, right? 
or or video content, something like that, could help as right. well. Yeah, yeah. Copyright 2010 on this, mm -hmm. and so yeah. I mean, I think I think that does definitely count. I mean, I th I think the idea is pretty much you know, um, getting your thoughts out into the world in a form that other people can consume. So that would definitely include you know talking um, as well as you know any sort of Instagram post, podcast format, like all of those things where, yeah, I mean, at the base of it is words and ideally you've, you know, written them down or at least have them in some sort of format. Um, but yeah, anything that al allows you to refine what that expertise is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, another thing I really like, and that is in connection to the writing part. Another thing I really liked is the, emphasis on on the process or writing down your process so he underlines the fact that in order to build expertise you need to be able to think clearly about the processes you have and to have the process and have it consistently like the consistent outcomes right because then you can guarantee clients certain outcomes because you have written down all the processes you have so um and i think that's in alignment with what we're always trying to do, what we always talk about, SOPs, right? It's kind of like the the thing we talked about in the past where you write down processes and have them always accessible right away and you know what steps you have to follow to reach a certain outcome. Um, the same is true with like, uh, like how we work, right? We kind of think of SOPs in a sense of like, oh, how do we release the podcast and how do we post it and how do we do this and that smaller things. But we recently sat down to really put down the process of working together from a development design and management standpoint in the business, how a project could turn out and how a project could work. And I think that's what he means by that as well, like really in a meta, meta overview, um, know how you work because that guarantees you a certain outcome and you can guarantee that to a client and say, this will be the outcome and you don't have to think about it, right? Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I th and I think that's part of it is like having, having some sense of standardization mm -hmm. also demonstrates expertise um, because it shows that you have experience um, and you, you know, there, it's a, it's a process that is repeatable. Yeah. And I think that kind of differentiates like people in the industry, I feel like, or in general people that have a certain, like um, that do certain things um, have certain practices going. Like if you're able to, if you really know your process, then you really know your outcomes and you really know what you're doing. If you just always have to go back to the, to the start and to the beginning and think about, okay, what was the next step I have to do here? What do I have to do here? Like if the projects always follow a certain rule or, or rule set, then um, that is, very, very helpful, especially, I, I guess, from a design standpoint, it's really helpful because I don't have to think about what I do next. Then I can solely focus on solving the problems at hand, and I don't have to put mental energy into things that are that don't require mental energy if I solved them before. It's just a matter of documenting them. Right. Definitely. I don't know. How's that with development, Daniel? Like, Do you have something like that where we have certain certain process always like always the same process for certain things and you have kind of documented those things or is it just 
you just know it and you just do it. Yeah, sometimes it's very specific. For example, for some project, you have some sort of database that you didn't use before and you have some form of dumping the data and importing it to your local database. So sometimes it's just very time consuming to remember all of the commands that you have to execute. So in my case, for example, I just keep a Evernote and I just, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, like tag it with appropriate uh, project, just a note and add what I have to do, uh, what commands I had to write to achieve a certain outcome. And I just re- refer to it whenever I have to go back and do it again. Mm-hmm. Nice. All right. I think that's pretty much it. So number seven, we will build expertise. Moving on to number eight. We will not solve problems before we are paid. Our thinking is our highest valued product. We will not part with it without appropriate compensation. If we, if we demonstrate that we do not value our thinking, our clients and prospects will not. Our paying clients can rest assured that our best minds remain focused on solving their problems and not the problems of those who have yet to hire us. So, uh, yeah, this, you know, this is one that I have, uh, I've had difficulty sticking to in the past um, because I, you know, I think that's kind of what I thought was demonstrating expertise was solving problems for potential clients, you know, giving them uh, a look into the way that we do business, the way that we work, the way that we um, tackle projects and starting to you know, talk with them through that process um, in the initial conversations. And yeah, I found that, you know, when I look back at those potential projects, it doesn't help to do that. For me, that sort of instinct comes from a place of wanting to help you know, wanting to get started, um, wanting to, to, yeah, to show a client that you're a, a potential client that you're um, you know what you're talking about. And I think it's also kind of based in a little bit of insecurity as well, that you need to prove yourself to them. But it's usually not very beneficial. You know, like, like he mentions here, the thought process, the strategy, the way you go about tackling a project is the highest value um that you that you can offer like you mentioned in the previous proclamation you know the the creative side of of the project the actual execution is the commodity and so the the philosophy of it the thinking that goes into it the way that you answer the question why are we doing this how are we doing this you know that is the the highest value that you can provide so if you're giving that to them for free before they sign a contract you are devaluing your work. Yeah. And it, you really touched on the subject there. I think this whole point, like, so do not solve problems before you, you're paid and like ha- having that, that notion of like helping people or diving into a project before it even started, before you're even getting paid, is kind of like a deep question, right? Because you have to ask yourself, like, what is your own worth, right? Like, why do you feel you have to help the client so early on or like, 
communicate already a, a certain plan, a plan of action or a certain thing to them, giving them something for free if if you don't know your own worth yet, right? Like, why do you feel feel like that? Like, is it really necessary? And you probably have to ask yourself and go deep inside yourself to ask to ask yourself that question and figure out what is holding you back to just saying, no, I know my worth. I, I don't get give them anything for free. And if they want to engage in a, in a business, then we can do that. But then there's a certain price to be paid for that. So um, it's probably a bigger point than, than it actually sounds at first. Because when I've... When you hear that in like videos or like when people talk about, yeah, just don't don't do work before you're getting paid. It's like, okay, cool, yeah. But rarely do people in this situation then say like, or know how to approach it where they say like, where they get to the point where um, where they say, well, if we engage in the business, then we can certainly talk about all of these things, right? Um, so it's it's tough, I mean, for me as well, most of the time, figuring that out. And it starts so small, right? You think like, ah, this small thing, I can just do it or help the client in this regard or that. But uh, it's like, it just, it just increases from there exponentially. Like you start with small things that become bigger and bigger and you, you have done like a big chunk of work, although you haven't got paid or the project hasn't even started yet. Yeah, definitely. I really like the statement that he provided uh, for actually drawing this uh, boundary before the free work and actually pay work. So he says that you have to state with polite conviction, it is our policy not to begin to solve uh, our clients' problems before we're engaged. So that's something you can actually use when talking with your client to like let the client know that we have to uh, be engaged before uh, beginning any work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, now I will say that uh... You know, I think generally speaking, this is a this is an important realization for uh, creatives uh, to to have. You know, to to not be unconsciously devaluing their um, work before they you know sign any sort of contract. With that being said, I think there is a counter argument for working for free. That is a narrative that I've seen people talk about, or I've heard, I've heard people talk about, I've seen online, on social media. Um, for instance, you know, like Gary Vee is a big proponent of that, working, you know, working for free to, um, you know, to get to working with the types of people that you want to work with, or to, you know, when you start something new, like do it, do it for free so you can get experience. And, you know, I think there's a time and a place for that as well. Um, but in this context, you know, generally speaking, you don't want to be offering your services uh, for free, your thoughts for free. Yeah. Right. It's a tough one, right? Like, because you, you mentioned it, Gary Vee talks about it all the time, like work for free, but you have to be, you have to be smart about it. Like if you're in a situation where you cannot support yourself and like, you, you don't want to be in a situation where you work for free, but you have no other job, no other income. And then like, oh, well, but Gary Vee said, I, I should work for free. And like, you still need to live off of something. Right. And like you said, in this situation, I think this this specific book as well like talk about agency work or as a designer um generally speaking in client work and it's client work i think gary v mentions like the working for free most of the time for 
if you want to really work for someone in, in a sense of like finding a mentor or right. somebody you highly regard or regard highly um, and you want to learn from them and grow with them, right? And building something you're really passionate about that person or that specific thing, uh, then totally like, but you still need to consider your your current situation, right? Like you don't want to like go and f like go into a work relationship there where you work for free and you don't have any other income like you have no other job like that's it's just not smart right. it's um it's not you know not every relationship is going to be so valuable most most relationships with potential clients are not going to be so valuable that simply working with them is worth engaging in the work right but like you said you know if there is the opportunity to um just to just you know by just working with somebody that that relationship you know um brings new opportunities and you know allows you to you know uh demonstrate um you know the who you are and what you're capable of to new types of people um you know it, it turns into that sort of mentorship type of relationship then yeah there you know there could be there could be a reason to work yeah. or free or for less than you typically yeah definitely and something you'll find out real soon when you uh, for example uh try to uh, convince a big brand to work with you for free you'll find out that nobody will want to work with you from these big companies because they value expertise right. over you know money and then you'll come to realize that money is not that important as you think so you know you have to charge more for people to think that you know your thoughts are actually valuable that's a that's a very good point um you know like big big organizations have the budget for the work that they're looking to get done you know and they 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 want to they want to get it right the first time um you know so that's why this whole this whole pro that's essentially what this whole process is for it's and talking about like when you're in a situation like this, like business wise, it's probably more counterintuitive to charge nothing than to charge something because you just said it, right? Uh, charging nothing is kind of like suspicious. Like what? Like why don't you charge anything for this? And it makes it seem cheap as well, right? They they cannot buy into the fact that they now spend money on it. So they're not invested in the outcome because they're like, well, I got it for free. I don't mind if this is like, like not succeeding right like they don't put their full effort into it as a client whereas if they would put in kind of something like something from their end they invest something in it um it's it's a whole different story definitely that's like when you buy courses versus when you get them for free right if you get them for free you'll probably never watch it yeah, yeah. absolutely well also too i mean it's the difference between like having expertise and not having expertise like i think it's it's much more it's much easier to convince yourself like, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll just do this for free, you know, like almost mm -hmm. as like a favor if you don't even think you have expertise or you're, you're not specialized, you know, in that particular product or service. Yeah. And, you know, if you do have those, then definitely do not be solving problems without getting paid. Yeah, nice. Yep. All right, on to the next one. Proclamation number nine. We will address issues of money early. We will resist putting ourselves in a position where we have overinvested in the buying cycle only to find the client cannot afford to pay us what we are worth. 
We will set a minimum level of engagement and declare it early in conversations so that if the client cannot afford us, both parties will be able to walk away before wasting valuable resources. That's a big one. It's probably one of the more, most important ones from, from all these, if you can point at some, some of these points. Definitely, definitely. And I, again, you know, I think all of these play off of each other yeah, for sure. really well. Um, this goes back to number six, we will be selective. You know, when you start to, when you're going into these, uh, when, you're, when you're starting these relationships with potential clients, um, getting to know them and understanding their business um, is what allows you to be selective. And, and that is what allows you to address the money issue early. Um, because like he says, you know, you, you don't want to find yourself at the start of a project or the middle of a project and your client wasn't a good fit. You know, maybe they don't, they, they don't have the budget that you assumed that they had. And now you have this mess where you don't even know if you're going to finish up the project. You don't even know if you're going to, you know, keep this going or, or what's going to happen. And what your predicted revenue was going to be is up in the air now. And you're stressed out and that can change all sorts of other potential deals. Now you're worrying about things. Now you're offering to solve problems for free again. You know, like <laughs> it, could, it could be bad. So yeah, addressing the money issue early is in line with being selective about your clients. It's like, don't work with someone unless you know that they can afford uh, what you're worth. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, the goal of your business, right, your agency, your enterprise, whatever it is, is to make money, right? You need money to survive. And therefore, you, you must form the habit of talking about it as soon as possible and as early as possible. And I like what, what he mentions as well. Like he says, those who cannot talk about it do not make it. So if you don't get into the habit of talking about money, you will never make money because you never bring it up. You never talk about it with clients. You never feel comfortable talking about it with, with clients, right? Yeah, definitely. It reminds me also of the paragraph where it was titled something like chasing the no. So it's like mm. getting to the no as soon as possible if the client doesn't have money for it, not right. to waste anybody's time. Right. Yeah, and you know, again, this this shouldn't be confused with, um, you know, having a fixed cost um, type of engagement with clients, where you say up front, like like they give you a list of needs, and you say up front, okay, that's going to be this much, and then you go about, you know, um, executing the the contract. Um, that's what he's saying about having a minimum level of engagement bringing that up uh, early on, you know, first thing you want to do usually is like get a sense of what they think their budget is. And then you want to also let them know what your minimum level of engagement is. And just let that kind of hang out there, you know, drop that number and don't say anything else. See what their face looks like. See what they say. <laughs> mm. you know, and from, from that reaction, you, know, you can get a sense of like, okay, is that going to work for them or not? You have to really learn to love that moment, I feel. Like that moment where you drop the number, where you anchor a certain price, preferably higher, the higher number you have in mind than the lower one. And like, like you just said, like let it rest in the air, like let it, 
be in the room and then just watch the client how he reacts or she reacts um and that's that plays so much into like the whole topic of like the bringing up the money early and naming your price and everything has so much to do again with how much you think you're worth that we talked about before like if you have to get into the habit of doing these things like and if you really cannot bring you to say like to address these things in in conversation with clients you really have to go into yourself and ask yourself why is it like they're probably more deeper things to consider than just like just bring yourself over it it's probably i mean you have to work on that right it's a tough thing but like, yeah the more you do it the better you get at it definitely definitely and that's what he mentions too you know we have this cultural this this like social conditioning to yeah. not to to avoid the topic of money to avoid you know talking about that and while that could be polite you know personally it is actually it it, it gets in the way of business like avoiding yeah. the, the 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 conversation about money is rude business wise you know you want to get that out there it's like you're you're about to get into a relationship with these people you know um you should figure out if you guys have the same uh idea of like what that relationship constitutes like like you should have the same idea of like how that relationship is going to be brought about and it's based off of money it's based off of the budget if that doesn't work nothing else is going to work for the project yeah i like the reframe like thinking of it as rude not to talk about it i like that right. like right. coming right from the perspective of like i don't want to be rude so i bring it up as soon as possible plus like you can because then you can save yourself so much time as well right because imagine you talk with a client for an hour and by the end of it you start t talking about price and all of a sudden like oh i cannot afford this like so you spend a full-on hour to listening to the client listening to the problems by the end of it you figure out they cannot afford you so there will never be an engagement happening there um it's kind of wasted their time and you wasted your own time and you don't want to do that it's kind of respecting the client as well it's not only from your perspective right it's also respecting the client and their time and their commitments and what they have to do definitely also somewhere in this chapter i remember i remember him mentioning that uh, if you accept even half of the work that comes your way you will end up in uh, having small projects so with uh, small budgets and you know the financial reward will not be as good and there will be less fulfillment with smaller projects yeah what I, what i thought was interesting was how he defined minimum level of engagement like he actually had a way to calculate it so where he it is kind of an approximate number but he usually takes the full year income that they project or that he needs or whoever needs and then take 10% of that and that's the minimum level of engagement per project or per client and i think that was kind of interesting to to get some some calculation behind that number right because minimum level of engagement there are so many different ways to calculate price right you can have a project fee you can have value based pricing um yeah like how do you calculate that right the minimum level of engagement so i thought it was cool that was interesting nice i mean one other thing he talks about is okay what now like you have this minimum level of engagement how flexible can you be with that amount right and i think 
like you don't want to be too rigid with that with the application of it right you want to be become routine in the way of sharing it with your clients right like bring it up as soon as possible but you don't want to be set into stone on that amount so if some client comes around and that that client offers a different way of like making a profit or kind of getting value out of it and you really feel that engagement is really beneficial for the both of you but they cannot really afford your minimum level of engagement um, then you have to find different venues avenues or different ways how you get value out of that engagement and if there are different ways to get other value out of it then you should should take it like it's not like so rigid that you say like okay you cannot afford this amount of money okay bye like you should always kind of be flexible a little bit um in that in that uh in that price yeah that's a good point and um i think that leads into the next proclamation following we we will address money early is number 10 we will refuse to work at a loss we will build our practice one profitable assignment at a time accepting our carefully selected pro bono engagements and the occasional favor to our best and longest standing clients every project will generate a profit that recognizes our expertise and the value we bring to our clients businesses yeah this is just general good business practice <laughs> you know You don't want to to work at a loss. I really liked uh, one thing that he mentioned is that the highest profit margin should be in the first two phases with uh, diagnosing and prescribing than the other ones. True. So very interesting thought. Yeah, you mentioned as well, like clients don't expect you to increase your profit margins in later phases. Let's imagine you start low with your strategic thinking and uh like the first phases right and then you go from let's say 5k to all of a sudden you go to 20k like that's kind of like whoa as a client you'll probably be a little bit like surprised by that so that's also interesting yeah you know ideally you can get um you know you want to you want to front load revenue and profit and that's not just like i mean it is a psychological thing right like ideally you know the client um you're not you're not making them pay more like the longer your, your relationship lasts mm. um, but also it's just good for that you know cash flow injection into your business um to have that up front rather than to like you know be waiting on it um little by little through months um so yeah that is a good point yeah and if also you, that oh, uh, sorry, I just wanted to add that it ensures ensures that your uh, client has a budget for it, not that you will encounter that he cannot continue investing, uh, you know, after some period that you agreed on. Right, right, yeah, yeah. No, it is like that's part of the selective, the selectivity and the qualification for a client is like, you know, um, getting paid for that um, diagnostic. Um, getting paid for your thoughts and yeah making sure that's in the budget range that you require so you know about this proclamation of refusing to work at a loss i think a lot of times you know part of that sort of that uh inner scarcity mindset that um 
insecurity of of offering your solutions for free is also you know doing things at a discount and he provides some alternatives to that so instead of instead of giving a discount to a client what you can do instead is give them guarantees you know instead of being uncomfortable about your price point learn to be okay talking about money be okay suggesting what your um what your required uh, budget is and then provide them some guarantees around that that um can provide the client with a little bit of a uh, sense of assurance and also you can feel like you're you're giving them something along with you know the value that you believe that you're worth yeah this, that speaks to a point we made before about process so if you're really sure about your process you're really sure about your outcomes so that will help you to actually guarantee certain outcomes and he also mentions it is more appropriate to guarantee um a gar to guarantee certain things for the first phase uh instead of like kind of like the artistry phase or the execution phase later on so the diagnosis and just prescription phases the strategic thinking basically right another alternative to discounting and this speaks to what we mentioned earlier of, of front-loading profit front-loading revenue and agreements is to offer terms to the client so even if you're guaranteeing things and you're you're very firm on the price the client might still argue well you know i don't know if we can afford this entirely and what you can do if you've started out with front-loading that profit that revenue you can offer terms that spread that out a little bit more that's a little bit more favorable for the client that makes them uh feel like you you're you're not giving in but you're willing to work with them to make this project work and so instead of a discount instead of reducing your overall price giving them a little bit more time to pay for that um, can be an effective alternative right and sometimes you just gotta be firm You know, sometimes, you know, uh, I don't know who said it. We talk about it a lot. Um, but, you know, if you don't get a little bit of pushback when you initially state the budget, then you could have charged more. And, you know, if they agree to that right out the gate, as soon as you say it, it's a pretty good indicator that maybe you underpriced yourself. So. You know, if you are getting pushback, starting to see that as a good sign, you know, starting to see that as like, okay, um, this is I'm I'm in a range that is uh, worthy. You know, that's a that's kind of like the, what we mentioned before of getting comfortable with talking about money. You know, being okay with holding your ground on how you value your work. Um, is really important because you can't work at a loss. Yeah. Yep. I like I like how he also says like the one with the least emotional baggage on the subject will do better at holding his ground. Another point yeah. f for actually getting into the habit of talking about it as soon as possible and basically with every client right away. Definitely. Definitely. 
on to number 11, the 11th proclamation. We will well, my, charge Maybe more. one one more thing? Maybe oh, go the, for it. Absolutely. Yeah, like, um, if you still choose to discount the price, um, he mentions kind of two rules for going about it. So he mentions the first one where we leave it to last. So that's something where you then talk about discounting the price at the very end of it. it when every other objection is addressed in, in the talk with the client and you agree on it, then you leave it to last to talk about the certain um, discount you provide, right? He mentioned something like, if we were to agree to this price, is there anything else to stop us from deciding to work together right now? And if there are no other objections... Um, then you can put kind of the certain price tag on it that is uh, discounted. So you don't want to discount and then figure out, oh yeah, we will go um, now to the next agency and figure out what they will be charging us, right? right. Like you will always, we want to, you want to be always in the situation where it is a hundred percent sure that you will engage in this business, and then you can talk about the price. Then you can talk about how you want to discount the price. Right. Yeah. And that's a, that's a good point. Um, and you know, you may be listening to this and thinking about some experiences that you've had where, you know, you, maybe you have tried being firm on, on your pricing and, you know, you had an experience where you, you state that and the client pretty much just walks out and they say, Hey, we're, you know, we're going to find somebody that can do this for, for less. Or maybe they say, yeah, you know, we've actually got other offers that are that are lower than this and what i would say to that is you might want to go back to the previous proclamation of being selective were you selective in the process before you presented this potential client with your work because if you were chances are they're not like you're you're going to be better at identifying those those types of people as uh, what are called tire kickers. You know, they're just looking for, um, you know, they're just seeing what's possible. They're not really too interested in your expertise and they're out there, you know, looking for the best price. That's not who you want to be working with. And that's why being selective is important. So if you have experience, you know, trying to be firm on your pricing and it hasn't worked out in the past, it's probably because you weren't selective. Mm, correct, yeah. And the whole yep. idea here is to not compete, right? Your expertise is so like big that you don't want to compete. You don't want to pitch. You want to come from the perspective of like, yes, we know what we're worth. We know our expertise. We know how selective we are. And we want to figure out as fast as possible if we are match, if this business can happen or not. Um, but like for the discount, discounting, like the last, the last point he then makes, like, so now you brought it up at last, you figured everything out, the price. And then the last thing, of course, is to put everything in writing and to mention the discount in every piece of invoice and every piece where you mentioned the price in the contract, which would be the contract, of course. And, um, yeah, and have it in there. So these are like the two steps if you decide to discount the price. Right. Um, on to number 11. The 11th proclamation, we will charge more. Continuing the trend, talking about money. As our expertise deepens and our impact 
on our clients' businesses grows, we will increase our pricing to reflect that impact. We will recognize that to our clients, the smallest invoices are the most annoying. Through charging more, we will create more time to think on behalf of our clients and we will, es- we will eliminate the need to invoice for changes and other surprises. Right. I mean, the more you charge, the more confidence you have in your services, right? In the quality of the outcomes you deliver to a client. I think that is a big one. Um, if that means you will lose clients, so be it. But you shouldn't, you don't want to, like if you don't charge enough or if you need to win on the price, then you 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 don't set yourself up as an expert, right? Like, I feel that that's a big one. Yeah, and what I would also say is that none of these, well, maybe some of these proclamations, but generally speaking, none of these proclamations work independently. And especially this one, we will charge more. I mean, like, you know, you can always, it's always an option to just charge more. And sometimes that can work um, when you're first getting started and you don't really even know what your worth is. It's like just increasing your prices. And generally speaking, you want to be doing that year over year. But just doing that without having this system in place is going to put you in a difficult place. Um, you know, charging more just based on ego. Charging more just based on, well, you know, I think that's what I deserve. That's not the reason why you charge more. You charge more because you have specialized. You've been selective with who you work with. You have demonstrated your expertise. You know, you have a diagnostic process. You know, you value the thoughts that you're providing, the solutions that you're providing to the client. That's why you charge more. If you're not putting all of these proclamations in place, just simply charging more is not going to, it's going to put you in a, in a worse place. But if you follow the system, it's, it's crucial. Right. Uh, I liked also that uh, in this uh, uh, chapter somewhere, he said that you should price uh, everything in big round numbers that end in zeros, because that uh, clearly implies that the work does not really depend on, you know, how much hours you spend on it. So it's, you know, for the services and for your thoughts and expertise that they're paying for. Yeah, I, uh, I personally need to remember that. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say that, like, we had a kind of a small experience with that in the past. We were having a discussion internally about pricing for ongoing work with a client. And um, I, I offered up some non-round numbers and some, some, uh, some underpricing, to be honest. I'm not going to lie, you know. Uh, yeah, I th- I think uh, I think it's easy to fall back into those types of old habits um, and that sort of psychology. Um, and I I'm glad we continue to reiterate um, you know this type of of thinking through our book club <laughs> for sure. And it comes back to self worth again, right? Like you will you never want to be in a situation where you have to apologize for the amount of money you charge right 
if you're at the point where you feel like the the point you want to be at is like that's the fair compensation for the value you you deliver to the client. You're an expert here, right? You're very selective. You know your value. You know your process. You know the outcomes you can guarantee, and you don't want to apologize for the amount of money you charge for that. And it's a big one. Absolutely. Again, it's a big one. Like not everyone feels comfortable because then all of a sudden it's not about the money anymore, right? Like then it's about who, like who am I as a person that can actually guarantee these things that things of him or herself as an expert, right? Like it's really like uh, deep territory there. Like it's really interesting work that you have to do on yourself to to get into the situation feeling comfortable ab around these things and i don't think it's something where you can say just do it at, as often as possible and at some point you fall into it right it's more like you have to really feel okay with that you have to really feel confident in in yourself to to be able to to not be apologizing for charging that certain amount right definitely yeah and you know i mean i think part of that too is continuing the process of refining expertise, uh, continuing to be, you know, selective with with clients, and, um, yeah, but, you know, like being firm in that, um, you know, there are like there there are three ways that you can compete as a business, and that's either on pricing, on offering convenience or in offering quality and what this book talks about really is setting yourself up to compete on quality first you know bringing that expertise and convenience to some extent um but you know this is not this this is definitely not a a, a guide a manual to being a Walmart, uh, hey, this is definitely not a guide to being the Walmart of, you know, creative businesses or the McDonald's of creative businesses. You know, like this is about being a high quality um, type of business. And so competing right. on price is not what your focus is. Definitely. Also, he mentioned that uh, a large invoice is better than a couple of uh, smaller ones because client does not have to decide uh, decide multiple times. You have to charge appropriately so there would be no change orders afterwards. Uh, so I like the quote that he, actually a sentence from the book, it is the change order that creates the resentment that builds until the relationship snaps. Very important quote yeah correct that that speaks to the point of like um the service in general right like a, the more you charge the better your um the better your service becomes so he has a quote here a superior service does not improve profit profit improves service so you want to have healthy margins where you then can include certain risk factors or mistakes that can happen throughout the process right if you are feeling comfortable with the amount of money you charge, um, then you will never be in a situation where you then say, oh my God, there's a problem now, but we don't get paid enough to fix this problem. So you want to be in a situation where you have enough money to 
like calculate all the risks and have these risks from a money standpoint covered so you don't never be in that situation definitely you've got you've got to be imaginative you know when you're thinking about what your services what you're offering is worth and yeah thinking about the possibilities of you know slight changes slight variations um ideally that is covered yeah because like he says you know like like both of you mentioned it the change order is where resentment is built mm-hmm. and uh yeah you know it's it's funny I, I, again i like reviewing all of these because it takes me back to like the old days when i did these i i've i've probably committed errors for each one of these proclamations actually i know i have and like every time we come up with these i i I have flashbacks to those moments (laughs) we all have probably but it's all right you know like that's how you learn Mm. um and hopefully listening to this will help you uh not make those same mistakes yeah this podcast is very therapeutical for us (laughs) (laughs) definitely i like I do like one of the quotes he mentions here where he says like the implied understanding is we will be paid well and in exchange we will take care of the client. We will make all the little problems go away. So it's not only about peace of mind for yourself as a business, right? It is also for peace of mind for the client where he doesn't have to think about money in between the project. Like he, he has peace of mind knowing that, okay, I pay this certain amount of money and everything will be taken care of. I don't have to right. think again about oh my God, a new problem. Oh my God, this wasn't included in the pricing. So how much does that cost me now? Like how much money do I have to spend again? Like these are kind of small interruptions in the flow of things, right? Like if you're in the middle of a project, the last thing you want to have to discuss again is we don't get paid enough for this. So we cannot fix it. So yeah, yeah, that understanding is key there. Absolutely. And again, it, it speaks to, you know, like what you're offering is is you think of it as like a luxury product. You know, think of it as something that is all like it's like a, it's like an all-inclusive resort. Your client is coming in, they write the check for it or they, you know, swipe their card and that gives them access to everything. You know, they're not having to like agree again or you know, they're not having yeah, again like you said, you know, to calculate, okay, I've got to pay a little bit more for this. Are there, there's some upcharges, there's some extra baggage fees or whatever, you know, like mm-hmm. when you, when you go to an airline, you know, everything is included in this high quality, luxurious service that you're providing. And that's why you have to charge more so that you can include that and you can provide that peace of mind to the client. Yeah. And again, like that speaks to the fact a lot of times, like in, 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 the, in this business kind of sense like what do we selling here right do we sell time or do we sell thinking um and of course he's really much against the idea of selling your time right or your access and units of time so thinking should always be sold separately from the work you do in time frames well one one of the quotes he says like we sell our thinking but we do ourselves a gross disservice in selling it by the hour the surest way to commoditize our own thinking is to sell it in units of doing time. Um, and another thing very interesting that I think is 
interesting to what he says here is like later in the in the engagement when the strategy work has been done and we are deep into implementation work the client buys our time so then it seems to be or it is okay to kind of charge by the hour or charge by one certain or one unit of time whatever the measurement is but the thinking part of it we charge that separately the strategic work we do we charge that separately right which is interesting for for a lot of situation where we are in, right? Where we're thinking of pricing structure and how we charge our, our clients and certain engagement. Um, yeah, would probably uh, probably inspires a lot of thinking and process in in that regard as well for us. How we go about it. It's okay to charge by the hour, right? It's okay to charge by time, but in certain situations you want to do that, not in all the situations, right? I think one last thing, or at least from from my part here, um, is okay. It is peace of mind, right? It's peace of mind for the client. It's peace of mind for us if we charge a certain amount. We don't have to face that again. But it also, like the premium pricing, also improves the commitment from the client uh, side, right? Like they want to be they- in the situation where 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 it's very hard for them to not take our advice, right? And how do we do that? Like there must be a, like you said, there must be an appropriate amount of pain associated with our pricing because then the client is invested and he actually listens to what we have to say as a right. consulting, right? Exactly. Consulting firm. So you never want, want to be in a situation where he just things like, well, whatever. Like I don't have to take this advice. Uh, it's it's good, but it's not really my thing. Like you want to have the client listen to you. And one of the tools is to charge a premium price because he's invested in it. And again, I just want to reiterate one last time here, you know, just because you charge more doesn't mean that the the project's going to be a success. I mean, yes, that, that could mean that the client um, is bought in more and they commit more. But if you, again, if you don't have that specialization, if you don't have, if you haven't been working on your expertise, just because you charge more doesn't mean it's all going to work out. So it, it goes in line with all of these previous proclamations. You know, charging more, it's the reason why that's number 11, not number one. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be funny. Some dude just gets like 200K for a project. <laughs> right, yeah, and then, you know, doesn't know what to do with it. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a pretty good problem to have, though. Yeah. Anyway. If you are that guy, just contact us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So the 12th and final proclamation of the Win Without Pitching manifesto is, we will hold our heads high. We will see ourselves as professional practitioners who bring real solutions to our clients' business problems. We will seek respect above money. For only when we are respected as experts will we be paid the money we seek. This money will allow us to reinvest in ourselves, become even better at what we do, and deliver to our families and ourselves the abundance we deserve. Yeah, I think that's a nice chapter to to end also, like in the book in general, because it talks about like the current situation, what design has as a role in, in business in general, or you, what what your role is, uh, role is in the business world. Like if you decide to be in that realm like you need to make a choice here right you need to decide and if you don't decide somebody else will decide for you 
and you will become a commodity, right? If you don't adjust. Right, and that's, you know, that is the decision you have to make. Are you going to be a highly paid consultant expert or are you going to be a uh, highly competitive uh, tactician, a highly competitive, uh, not so well-paid tactician that's constantly fighting with others with just a spear and nothing else in a pit of thousands of tacticians trying to vie for one or two clients. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of the thing, right? We all entered this business world or for us being self-employed, right? Or freelancing work, like we entered it with a certain expectation, right? Like we do it because we we want to work for ourselves, right? And But that also means there's a lot of responsibility coming with it and it's all on us. Like we have to decide on what direction we want to go with the services we provide. And like I said, um, you have to adjust right to what's happening currently. It's good that from whatever, like if you're a designer, it's good that design plays a bigger and bigger role in businesses nowadays, right? Or strategic thinking, right? If you come from that standpoint or design thinking, whatever it might be, the, the, the focus on the thought and how it can solve certain business issues is a big one, but you have to adjust to it and you have to go in there and like learn about it and apply it and be comfortable doing it uh, because that's the only thing that will differentiate yourself in the future. Yeah. And, and by the way, you know, I, I think this whole book, especially this last proclamation can be misconstrued. Like it, it, this isn't about being like, this doesn't just mean that like, like confidence does not equal expertise. Confidence doesn't just translate, and not even confidence, like ego doesn't translate into better contracts, you know, better budgets, better work. But this whole process does, you know, and, and being, being confident about your work as a result of sticking to these proclamations is crucial. You know, and, and again, it's about um, fixing that mindset, fixing the insecurity, the scarcity that you have when you first start and you don't know and you're in this wild, crazy world of the unknown of being responsible for you know, every single paycheck that comes in. And it's not, it's not even a paycheck anymore, right? You know, like, it's just like, you, you just think of it as, as money, as, as revenue. Um, mm. and so this, this final step of holding your head high, you know, of seeing yourself as the expert is like an affirmation. And it's, and it's what you do at the end after you've put in this work, after you've executed all of these other proclamations. Yeah. Yeah, there is a there is a nice quote he mentions in this chapter. It's a little bit long, but I want to read it out because probably a lot of people can relate to that. I can relate to that, certainly. Um, From the very beginning, we were driven by some bold ideas. We were taught in school that the artist's place in the world was special. 
we were encouraged by our teachers and fellow students to live the dream, to surrender to our passion and revel in the nobility of our craft. Absent among these early encouragements, however, was any discussion of money or basic business practices. We were never taught to address the very issue of sustainability, how to ensure our practice thrives so that we may keep doing what we love for as long as it moves us. Which is very true, I feel. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you I mean, know, I mean, like, as a, yeah. as a culture, it's like this idea of, like, following your dreams, right? You know, but nobody ever talks about, like, what the actual cost of that is, you know? And, and again, you know, like, as creatives, I think we have, like, issues talking about those, those uh, you know, issues of money, issues of, like, sustainability, issues of, of the things that are actually going to make it possible for your dreams to become a reality. Yeah. You know, another good statement that he makes here to, to wrap things up is in regards to the return of vision, to the return of like being excited about the future, being excited about where you're going with your business. He says, what we once saw as a battle with our clients, we now see as a journey of personal transformation. That's why I think like this last one is like a, an affirmation, right? We will hold our heads high. Every step that you take in following these proclamations and winning without pitching and having uh, this mentality is going to be transformative. It's going to make your business run more like a well-oiled machine. And yeah, you got to be committed to that process. Hmm. It's it's a personal journey. Like every time you face these these proclamations while working with a client, it's like you're developing yourself as a person. Um, and if you stick to them, you slowly. It's like adding on one percent, one percent every time, right? Like every time you do this, like plus one percent, plus one percent, and you growing stronger in these regards. And I really do feel like, of course, it doesn't probably fix certain self-esteem issues you might have that might go way back into your childhood or anything like that, where you have problems talking about money, where you have problems asserting yourself or knowing your own value or what you're worth, right? But it will help you as a tool to to navigate the space, I feel. Definitely, yeah. And nothing, like, I think we all want to have a magic pill. Yeah. You know, I think that's the hope of like any book or any course or any, you know, podcast. It's like, oh, this is going to fix everything. But it's like the application, it's the action that you take. And it's that commitment to the process, commitment to continuing to refine that process that's going to provide you with the success that you're looking for over a period of time. So, yeah. You got to you got to start start today. Yeah. Act now. Start with this book. Start with the Win Without Pitching Manifesto. Start with listening to yeah, this book club episode, taking some notes and setting some action items as to how you can start to use this in your business today. That concludes this book club episode of the Win Without Pitching Manifesto by Blair Enns. I hope you guys have enjoyed listening to this. That was cool. We will be coming back to you. I love this book. 
I'm really glad this was one we started with for the book club. And uh, yeah, I mean, we could we could probably do it again sometime. <laughs> what's what's the next book then? Hmm, that's a good question, right? Like, you will see. I guess we haven't decided on that yet. I uh, I have a few ideas. Um, well, we'll probably discuss that off air, right? But like, we don't know yet. But we'll got we'll let you guys know. The pumpkin plan. That's a good one. Um, Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport or his earlier book, uh, Deep Work. Deep Work is a big one, yeah. What's another one? I'm looking at my shelf right now. Work the System. It's another great one. Um, we'll, make a, we'll make a poll. Like We'll ask our listeners. Yeah. <laughs> Applied Empathy. That's a good one. Uh sprint we could do the sprint book hacking growth i'm just gonna keep naming them <laughs> yeah <laughs> we'll let's do hacking growth hacking hacking growth is very like application hooked how products become addictive or something along the we'll lines. figure it out don't worry about it yeah 50 laws of power okay now you're doing it <laughs> <laughs> all right uh well that's all for now hope you guys enjoyed this episode of the book club. Thank you guys very much for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. <laughs>